Thank you, Shane. Thank you, HopeWorks. Thank you, Gentry, for your worship. Appreciate you so much. I just want to say again, I really appreciate Gentry Brown. And of course, you sometimes see me up here working with Gentry on the drums, which I enjoy very much. I just appreciate the presence of the Lord that he brings through his worship. Well, let us pray one more time, and we'll, we'll look into the Word of God. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your mighty work within us, your marvelous, your miraculous work to change us, to transform us into the image of Jesus. And we want that to happen today for every one of us. I pray a fire would be ignited in the heart of every person, that they would not leave this place the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to thank Shane for this opportunity. And yesterday, Darnell and I were listening to last week's teaching on Ruth. I'm trying to think through how I would, would approach it. And it seemed like Shane covered everything so thoroughly. I said to Darnell, I don't know how to follow that. He's already preached five sermons in one. He's talked about all the symbolism and the typology and everything else. And she says, yeah, he does that. And, um, but we will give it our best shot. And I'll, I'll give you my perspective on this. And we've come to uh, the third chapter. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail there uh, except to say... And, and then allow Shane to pick it up wherever he wants. But uh, basically, it, it's a marriage proposal here. And, uh, and I want to focus on some other things in Ruth. But, but in the third chapter, uh, she's already gone, and Shane's covered this. She's gone out into the fields. Uh, Boaz has recognized her. She's a lovely woman. He's told the workers, he said, you treat this lady with respect. And you make sure she's able to, to gather everything that she needs every time she comes out. And, and so he has noticed her. He's a much older man. I don't know how old. Let's just say he's in his 50s. She's probably a young lady, maybe her late 20s or early 30s. So there's, there's a big age difference. And um, anyway, she's, she's going out and she's gathering for uh, Naomi and, and their small family there. And, uh, of course, Naomi, the matchmaker, is watching everything that's happening. And uh, here's one, one case of manipulation that was really ordained of God. You know, women sometimes meddle, sometimes they manipulate. But here's one where uh, the hand of the Lord was in absolutely everything that Naomi did. But she was definitely trying to get those two connected. And uh, she ends up telling Ruth, okay, this is the harvest now. We're, we're celebrating the harvest all the workers have come. Usually they drink wine. They're having, they're having a party, in other words. They brought in the harvest. It's done, and they're celebrating. And they drink. And so during this celebration, Boaz has also drank, and she said, I know what's going to happen. Naomi's talking to Ruth. She said, okay, they're all going to drink. They're all going to be happy, including Boaz. And uh, he's, he's going to be in the threshing floor where they separate the, the, the chaff from, from the grain they're going to keep. She says, I want you to go in there after he's laid down. I want you to lay down at his feet, uncover his feet. And there, there was nothing sensual in this. But <clears throat> it was a cultural thing. 
She was submitting to him. She says, go in there, uncover his feet, and then lay down at his feet. So basically what she did was she went, and he's, he's full of wine. I don't know if he was drunk or not, but he definitely had wine, and the Bible says that. He was happy. He was merry. So he had a little bit of a buzz there, at least. <laughs> and he's laying down on the threshing floor, and so she goes in. He's probably, uh, and uh, she uncovers his feet, but she covers she lays down at his feet, and then she covers herself and his feet. But, but, but that, is, that is a proposal. She's saying, cover me. I'm, I'm a woman here in this culture, in this culture of honor and shame, and I need your protection as a woman in this culture. And I'm, I'm inviting you now to cover me. And so he wakes up, and, and he sees, and he's... he's Upset, you know, the Bible says he trembled a bit. What's going on? What's going on? And, and then she immediately wakes up and, and says, you are my near kinsman, redeemer. She's saying, will you please redeem me? I'm, I'm here. I, as a woman in this culture that is not my own, I am seeking your overshadowing protection. And would you do this? Would you cover me? Would you accept me as your wife? It was definitely a proposal. Of course, he was delighted, partly because he was an older guy, and he had not married yet. She was a younger woman, I'm sure very attractive. But, but not only was she physically beautiful, her character and her inner heart was extremely beautiful. And, and of course, that adds to physical attraction. Virtue and holiness and passion and faith in God really does enhance physical beauty and enhances physical attractiveness. So, and although he's shaken at first, he says, I cannot believe you've done this. You are a, a very attractive young woman, and you could have gotten a hundred guys out there that are young and strong and, and, and more suitable for you. And or is he saying, I'm deeply touched by this, and, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make this happen. So that's kind of how uh, chapter 3 ends. And they do get married, and I'll leave it to Shane to, to finish the story next week. But this woman definitely left a legacy. But I, but I want to take it now from a completely different angle. And I want to talk to you about Ruth as a woman of passion and love. And so I want to read a verse that Shane has already covered in the first chapter. And, and, and to repeat some of what has already been said... This family has moved from Israel to Moab in a time of famine and suffering, thinking that they're going to find some kind of prosperity there in the land of Moab. And it ends up, uh, so Elimelech, his wife Naomi, two sons go. Something happens, the two sons die. They were married. There's two Moabitess women, Oprah and Ruth. Naomi says, okay, I'm going to go home now. My husband is dead. My sons have died. And the one sister says, I'm not going to, to leave my people. But, but Ruth is, is completely different. And so I want to focus in on the heart of this woman and say that Ruth saw something attractive in the whole family. And what she saw in them was their faith in God, and she was attracted to the beauty of that faith. 
And it's already been said that, that the, well, the Moabites had many gods, but one of their primary gods was Molech. And Molech de- demanded blood. You, you could only satisfy him with human sacrifice. You, you can still see that in India, although it's, it's greatly degraded. And Shane's been to India with us. I don't think he ever went to one of the temples of, of Kali, which is a female goddess. She still demands blood, and sometimes, uh, although it's illegal there, sometimes people still sacrifice humans to Kali in India. But that kind of thing still exists in the world. When, when the British came and colonized India about 150 years ago, they outlawed human sacrifice in these big public temples. But it was happening in public until the British colonized India and, and made it illegal. But it still sometimes happens in the bush. But this, back to Molech, he demanded human sacrifice. So there was something in the heart of Ruth that, that was repulsed by that. She, she, she hated that. She was, uh, it was revulsive. Uh, and she, here these, this family comes from the land of Israel, and they worship the one true God who demands humane treatment of other people, love and compassion. So she's attracted by all of this. She's seeing something beautiful in these people. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons she married into the family. And uh, I was reading yesterday, uh, there are many rabbis who believe that she was actually a princess and she left uh, a a very high and secure lifestyle to to downgrade, socially speaking, into a, a poor Israelite family because she was drawn to their God and to them, of course, because their God was reflected in them. So there was a beauty and an attractiveness that, that she was pulled to and that she married into. And she began to worship their God. And she became totally caught up uh, in their faith and, and in the, their culture while they were there. So when the, when the tragedy happened, and then Naomi's about to go back to her people. I just want to read this again. This is actually, and, and Shane has said it, and I agree, this is a beautiful love story, hardly matched in history. A magnificent love story. And, and, and that's what I want to focus on today. But listen to these words and understand that these are words of passion and love that were ignited initially by her attraction to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was reflected in this family. So listen to these words of love. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and going back to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth said, do not ask me, do not pressure me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where I go, you will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me and be it ever so severely. In other words, she's saying, may God himself punish me if I do not do exactly what I'm saying to you. In fact, some translations say, even death is not going to separate. Most translations say, may God punish me if anything but death separates you and me. But some translations say, 
May God see to it that even death itself will not separate me from you or me from your God. Then when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped. She said, okay, I'm not going to persuade you to do anything. Come on, let's go back to Israel. So, we begin to see the beauty of the faith of this woman called Ruth. There is a beauty. There is a beauty. So I want to talk to you for a minute minute about that beauty and about that attractiveness. So, the thing that initially attracted Ruth to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob and to a people, and it's important, and I want to point that out too, that she not only committed herself to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, she committed herself to the people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they go together. It's very important. But the beauty that she was attracted to came into her. It changed her. It affected her. It was a fire. It became a passion. And that passion became determination. Until when she's saying to Naomi, you're you're not going to persuade me to do anything. Death itself is not going to separate me from you because because of God. I see God in you, and I'm not going to leave God, and I found God in you. And and I don't want to leave God, so I'm going to stay with you. Because I, I can't find him. My people are burning, and Shane's already said, they would burn their children in the fire. Their little children. To Molech. Alive. If you want to study it. Screaming. She's saying, I'm, I'm not going to go back to that. I've found a beauty. Uh, something sweet. Something so humane and compassionate that I cannot find in my people. I'm not going to leave this. And I found it with you, and I'm staying with you. Nothing's going to... Only death. And not even death. It's done. So, this woman became attractive and became beautiful because of what she pursued. She took it into herself. And she so passionately believed in this God, the one God, the only true God, that it changed her. And I I want to suggest to you that that beauty is what Boaz saw. And again, I'm sure she was physically attractive. But that did not compare to the beauty that was inside the woman that everyone saw. In fact... When she did this, when she lay down on the threshing floor and Boaz woke up, one of the things that he said, and, and he said it earlier when she was in the field, he said, everyone's talking about you. And, 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 and he says to her, everyone talks about what character you have. I, I'm embellishing it a little bit, but, but basically that's what he was saying, that all of my people notice you. They notice your passion, your faith in God, your character, your virtue. And I'm just blown away that you would even think of me. I'm just an old guy here. And you've thought of me? You are such a beautiful woman. Your faith in God is just so beautiful. Everyone's talking about it. Oh, this I can't believe. So 
Boaz, he's totally blown away. This beautiful woman, this virtuous woman, is thinking about me? Oh, of course. And he goes to work. He goes to work to get her. And of course, he, he ends up succeeding. But back to passion, back to love. I want to be burned by love. I, I want to be affected by this God myself. So I, I want to tell you a few personal stories of how something similar happened to me and how I have been effect, affected by the God that I have seen in other people. Years ago, uh, I worked in Christian radio. Um, in fact, it's changed now, but 91.7 used to be a, a Christian radio station, and I worked there for 13 years. And I became the station manager. And at that time, my heart was thinking a lot about missions. And I started there, I think I was 28 years old when I began to work in Christian radio. But God allowed by his grace uh, for me to meet so many wondrous Christian leaders that were really anointed and the hand of the Lord uh, was on them. So one of them that I met in in the very early 80s was K.P. Yohannan. He had come up to the radio station and someone had, had interviewed him. And I, I had just listened to him with wonder. And by the way, uh, one of the coolest mission websites you can ever go to is Gospel for Asia. It's gfa.org. Go to it. You'll love it. And, uh, and that is K.P. Yohannan's, the, the organization that he founded. So anyway, I, I, I got to meet him. And he was a man uh, that had something so attractive in him, uh, spiritually speaking. And I I just wanted to be around him. So I started hanging around him. And uh, I actually saw him by accident one time in India after I had met him in radio. And I saw him in an airport in Bombay, India, which they've now changed to Mumbai. They've changed the name. Bombay was the old British name. Um, but I, I stopped him and said, hey, man, you know, what's going on, blah, blah. And we really we connected that day in the airport. I said, when we get back home, I'm going to bring you back up to KVTT. So over my years in KVTT, I went from being a disc jockey to program director. And I eventually became the station manager. And so I was determined, and this was because of the beauty of what, what I saw in certain people. I, I became determined that I was going to use my position as manager to promote uh, these people, and, and especially people that worked in missions. And uh, so I, I really used that position. There was a, a lady in Mexico who was helping orphans uh, back in the early 80s, and I used to bring her up, and, and, and again, I would just see that beauty of Jesus and her love for the orphans, and I would put her on the radio. And I used to put KP on all, I would just bring him up and put him on, put him on. And, and, and one time I told him, I said, anything in this radio station is at your disposal at any time. And boy, he took advantage of it. And uh, in fact, I helped him build a complete recording studio for Christian music in South India. I sent an engineer over there. I used the resources, the money of the radio station, and the owner just let me do it. He would let me, he trusted me, and he let me do anything almost that I wanted. In fact, the owner of that station is the one who got me into missions because I kept being attracted to missions, and he was saying, well, go, and I'll pay for it. He said, I got you covered, got you covered. I said, are you kidding? I took off like a rocket. I took my first trip to India in 1982, and he, he financed the whole thing. And when I wanted to go back, he said, go, go, man, go. And, and I just thank God for him. He's, he's in heaven now. His name was Eldred Thomas. And um, anyway, I developed this relationship with K.P. Yohannan. 
So from 79 to 90, I worked at the radio station. Then I left, and the first thing I did was I went to work with K.P. Yohannan. I actually became, I came on the staff of Gospel for Asia. And uh, a wonderful book I recommend is called Revolution and World Missions by K.P. Yohannan. Read that book. It will change your life. But there's, uh, I have several beautiful memories about KP, but here's one of them. Uh, when I was actually on staff at Gospel for Asia, uh, I worked there in the office. I was with KP all the time. Uh, one time I was sitting in the office, we were discussing uh, some mission things uh, in India. And, and he would do this often. He would begin to talk. This man burned. He was like, uh, he reminds me of the burning bush of Moses. He just burned burned with passion and love. So I'm sitting in his office and we're talking about different things and I can't remember how we got into it, but one of the people that we were supporting and Gospel for Asia finances native missions. They take people from those countries and just support them and help them so they can go out and spread the gospel all over the world. So we're in there talking and, and, and so spiritually what's happening is so he, he gets distracted from whatever it was we were talking about, and he just begins to burn. It's like, this fire comes on, and he starts talking about these guys. And so one of the, the men that we were supporting, um, and, and, and at the time, in the, in, in the late 80s when I was working for Gospel for Asia, that organization alone would see almost 100 martyrs a year. 100 martyrs a year of Christians. So he got to talking about one of the guys who had gone into a village to preach the gospel, gospel, and he was attacked by radical Hindus, and he had gone with his son, and they beat them almost half to death. So uh, they had broken the back of the young boy that went with his father to preach the gospel, and they had broken several bones in the man. And uh, as KP was talking about this, you know, the tears were welling up in his eyes, and it was just burning and it was like, whoo, I could feel the heat. I was being scorched. And, and I, in, inside myself, I just kind of, it's like, I just wanted to. And so I just, I just became silent and I was listening. He was, but he was talking about this man. And, and then he was somewhat being critical of, of Western Christians and the blindness. And they have no idea, you know, of what these brothers and sisters are going through. And, and, and he just went on like that, and it really scorched me, you know. And so when I'm there, I'm like, God, you know, I want this, this love. I want this passion. I'm, attra- I'm attracted to what I saw in, in KP, the spiritual beauty that I saw, the, the deep love and the commitment, not only to the, the Lord Jesus, but to the gospel and, and to his people. So KP is a man who lays down his life for the people of the Lord. And I could tell you many, many stories about him, but, but I don't have time. But I said, Lord, I want this. I want this. I want this. Here's another story. Uh, in the years that we were there at KVTT, uh, they would let us send out Bibles and books and cassette players and Set players are something for museums now, but back in those days, we actually used them to spread the gospel. I did it myself. I sent, in fact, I purchased and sent these uh, cassette players that you would crank. 
And then they play for about an hour after you crank them. And we would send these and, of course, tapes with the gospel and, and different teachings. I used to send these to India and Africa and other places. And um, anyway, one of the people we sent them to was a British missionary, uh, a, a woman named Ruth Scott Kelly, whose parents had come from England to Kenya, and uh, they, had, they were wealthy, and they bought all this land, and they had a big ranch. So Ruth was uh, Ruth Scott Kelly, not the, the story, not the woman in the Bible, but Ruth Scott Kelly was born in Kenya. And so uh, when she got older, her parents passed away and had a massive amount of land well, the Lord had really touched Ruth Scott Kelly, and what she began to do is she, she inherited all this massive ranch in Kenya, and, and she just gave it to Jesus, and she built a school, she built an orphanage, and, and, and she built a very special uh, school for disabled uh, children in Kenya. We're talking about children who are retarded, who are mentally retarded, who are, are crippled, who can't walk. And she would take the hardest cases, and she would tell heartbreaking stories of these children. And uh, Darnell's been there with me to visit Ruth Scott Kelly on several occasions. But what, what Ruth Scott Kelly did, she ended up giving most of the land that her parents had built a massive ranch on. We're talking about square miles, just a massive plot of land. She gave it back to the local people. Just gave it to the poor. And she kept enough of it to, to build a school and an orphanage. And um, what would happen is she would take these, the government uh, people would come when they found abused children, and they would say, would you please take this child? And so on one of the trips that we took to Kenya uh, about 15 years ago, we went to, to see Ruth. And uh, back in the 80s, I was sending Ruth uh, all this stuff, and she lo- used to love my sermons. I know a lot of people don't, but Ruth did. And she said, send more, send more. In those days, I would send my own sermons on cassette tape. And so I developed this uh, correspondence with Ruth, and we actually got to be friends, and we would send her a, a lot of supplies and things. And so eventually, then we got to meet her in person and, and go to Kenya. And uh, we were just so amazed at, at what she had done. One of the stories, and, and Ruth is one of these people that has this beauty, this passion for Jesus. And, and at this time, uh, she's already very old. She's like in her 70s. So we go to see her, and, and, and she's on this, almost on this mountain ridge that overlooks the Rift Valley. It's, it's fantastically beautiful. If you get up, you can see the sunrise, and you, you just look down. She's got this home, and you look, you look down off the mountaintop. And it's just stunning beauty. And, uh, and so we stayed with her. And then we got, the first time we went to see her, we got in late at night. And then the next day she took us out to see the kids. So she takes us into the school where these crippled, mentally retarded kids are. And uh, she, she just, and she knows all of them. She said, this one is this name. And, and she knows all of them by name. First thing I noticed when she walks in, Every one of those kids lights up like a Christmas tree. It's like smiles break out. Mama Ruth is here. Why? And, and I saw that. It was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm weeping. She loves them. She passionately loves them. And, and they know it. And many of these kids. Uh, and so this one picture that burned. Oh, I got scorched by this picture really bad. 
She goes to this one girl who is blind. And she walks up, and the girl is sitting in a chair. So Ruth just kind of puts her arms around this girl. And I can't remember the girl's name, but she said, this is, I'll just say Susan. I don't know if that was her name. And then she said, her father beat her into blindness and used to abuse her. And, and beat her so bad that she went blind. And, um, and then, so the, the picture, that, the reason it burned into my mind, she wrapped her arms around this little girl, and the tears were just streaming down her face. Oh, God. It was so beautiful. I can't forget it. It's, it makes me cry. And, uh, and so this girl... So when Ruth touched her, Ruth Scott Kelly, uh, this girl was just beaming like the sun, blind, smiling, because Ruth loved her. And, and, and I saw that, and, and I said, God, I want to be like this. That is what I want. And by the, uh, Ruth is already, she's a, almost a haggard old woman. I mean, physically, she's not necessarily beautiful, but there was such a beauty in that woman, indescribable. And I said, I want that. I want this beauty. I I want this passion. I want it. God, give it to me. I mean, I said that when I was around K.P. Johannan. In fact, there's something I've said. it, It almost sounds trite, but I've really meant it. I've done this many times. When I get around people like this, I say to myself, I don't say it out loud. I said, God, I want my end to be like this person. I, I want, when I grow up, yeah, I said, when I grow up, I want to be like Ruth Scott Kelly. When I grow up, I want to be like this person. When I grow up, I, I actually say, I know it sounds a little bit silly, but I've really meant it. I, I get around people like this. I said, when I grow up, Lord, I want to be like that man. I want to be like that man. I want to be like K.P. Johannan. And, and I've said that in my younger days when I was around KP and other people like Ruth. And uh, we stayed a couple of days with Ruth and, and we, we spent some time with these kids and we sat down with them. Horrible stories. There was one child she took that had her parents had dug a hole and buried her in the hole up to the neck and she lived in that hole for two years. Two years. So this is a mud hut where they took a girl and abused her in that way. And they would feed her so she stayed alive. And, and, and Ruth said all the color of her skin was gone when they found some, some government official found out about this and took the child away, yay, from the parents and gave this child to Ruth. But her skin was pink because two years in the dirt just burned off the black color of her skin. And I could tell you other terrible stories, but I won't. But these are the kind of kids that Ruth would get. And she wanted them. She asked for them. And she would take care of them. And I know some people think, God, what a burden. How could anyone live around those kind of crippled children and wounded children I don't know, but whatever they've got, I want it. I want it because it is beautiful. It is indescribable beauty. And I want that beauty to affect me, and I want it to change me. 
And so, and, and we haven't seen Ruth in several years, but what an impact, what an impact. Passion, beauty, love. I want to be scorched by the love of God. I want to be scorched by the love of God. I want it to change me. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in doctrine as Christians. And I've struggled with it. In fact, I like to study theology. I've done it all my life. But many times I've found myself pulled away into all these debates and different thoughts and dogmas and things and Calvinism and Armenianism and, you know, well gifts of the spirit and and there's all these different ways of thinking and divisions within Christianity and I want to understand and and but what I'm learning as I'm getting older and gray is that I, I, I willfully bring myself back to, to the simplicity and beauty of love that is the, the essence of who God is and that's the essence of Jesus Christ and and I don't want to get caught up in doctrine. Theology is good. We need boundaries. But I don't want to be controlled by doctrine. I want to be controlled by love and directed by love at all times. That is who God is. And I want that to be the rule of my heart. And so often I have to bring myself back. I don't want to... If, if you get too much into doctrine, you become judgmental of people. You know, the verse that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It, there's a whole lot there that, that is beyond the words itself. It also means you don't judge. You leave it to me. God says, I, when God says, I will repay, God is saying, I am the judge. And since he is an infinite being with infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge and infinite understanding of all situations, he is qualified to be the judge. But I, as a finite being, full of faults and sins and weaknesses, I'm, I'm disqualified from judging people. That doesn't mean I can't say, I can't point out a wrong and say that it's wrong. Love also corrects if, if I see a wrong. That's not judgment. Brother, don't waste your life with drunkenness and drugs and immorality. That, that's not judging. That's compassion. That's love. But, but it's with that spirit. It's with a spirit of gentleness. It's with a spirit of compassion. So, yes, we can speak correction, but we're to do it in the spirit of love. But this kind of judgment that, that creates a spirit of exclusivity or a spirit of a superiority, we are the people of God. We have the, the pure stream. We have garbage. You know, I want to be inclusive. I want to be compassionate. I want to understand people that are different from me. I don't have time for dogmatic, uh, a dogmatic spirit. So the simplicity and beauty of love, spread your garment over me, cover me. The story of Ruth in the Bible is, is a story of love. It's a story of a woman of deep passion and love, a woman who left a great legacy. There's three verses in the New Testament that say the words, pursue Love. Pursue love. 1 Corinthians 14.1. 1 Timothy 6.11. 2 Timothy 2.22. Pursue love. 
come back to the simplicity and beauty of love. As we've grown over the years, you know, in the past, I can look back when I was with some of these great people that I've told you about, and there were actually many more that, that, that I don't have time, you know, that say, God, when I, when, I, when I grow up, I want to be like this man. I know several pastors, even locally here, I've said that, oh, God, when I grow up. Bob Nichols is like that. Calvary Cathedral. I've known him for years. I love him. I've said that many. God, when I grow up, I want to be like Bob Nichols. He's a beautiful man. Okay, so when I'm younger, you know, I'm around these people and say, what's, you know, I pray these prayers and I would think, okay, radical change is, is going to come. Radical change. Real quick. But it didn't. I used to get depressed and discouraged because I didn't see dramatic change happen over a real short period of time. But now that I'm older, I can tell you, and, and I don't, I'm not being arrogant, but I have become like the people I've described to you. And if you don't believe me, you come with me to Kenya. You come with me. And you will feel what I described to you that I felt when I was younger. You will. You will be scorched. Come to our orphanage in Kenya. And if I don't, those little kids will. They'll burn you alive with love. You won't have any privacy when you're there. They'll be all over you. And, and, and you will feel the love of God. But um, I can look back now and say, God, you really did answer my prayer. A year ago, we took a team of people, and some of the people that went with us came from our Ryan Burgess Church in uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Who remembers Ryan? Anyone here? He was associate pastor here for a number of years. And he often, he usually goes with us every year, and he will be going with us in April. So, but one of the girls that went with us was Cassandra Andrea, a member of his church. And so Cassandra comes, a, just a lovely girl in every way, lovely in the Lord. And um, so she went with us, and when we were there, uh, our observation of her, both her and now mine, is this girl is just amazing. What a servant spirit, just a great attitude, very helpful. And so to us, we're thinking, this girl is really giving up herself during her time here with us. And, um, but we didn't know what was happening inside of her. And so anyway, she, uh, when we finally parted ways, in fact, we parted ways in London. We were there two weeks. Cassandra was with us. We flew back to London, and she had to take a separate flight back to Florida and so we're standing there in the airport, Heathrow Airport in London, and Andrea just stops us, and she just starts weeping. And she's saying, I, I just cannot tell you what has happened to me. I just, I'm so thankful. And so we both give her a big hug, give her a big kiss. And so she goes home. So later we hear from Ryan, Andrea is a totally different person. She, is, she has been so affected by her time there. And this is what Ryan told us. We didn't talk to Andrea's husband, but Ryan told us Andrea's husband said she is completely different. She goes home. She starts leading family members to the Lord. She's more evangelistic. She, she, in fact, right after she got home from her trip with us in Kenya, she went to some kind of family gathering or family reunion. She's up there sharing Jesus. And so what happened was that we didn't fully realize she was scorched by the love of God. 
And so she goes home. This flame is coming off on everyone now. She's leading people to Jesus in her family. And, and she's different at church. And her husband says, wow, I've got a different woman now. A woman more beautiful in Christ. And, and, and after I heard that, I, I, I think back, I think back, back years, Lord, you did answer my prayer. I wanted to be like K.P. Johannan. Even though I'm, I'm different in many ways, I'm, I'm not exactly like him, but, but that fire that was in him, it is in me. It is. If you don't believe me, come go with me and get scorched by the love of God. You will be touched. So back to Ruth in the Bible. A woman of beauty, a woman of passion, a woman of love. She was committed to the God of Israel. She was committed to the people of God. And that is also important. I want to take a moment to talk about that. Part of our walk with the Lord is that the Lord is in His people. And and in my life, which over 40 years following Jesus, since I was 16, and I'm now 61, I'm, I'm willing to say I've had more opportunities to become bitter and offended at God's people than probably anyone in this place, unless you're older than me, then you might have had more opportunities than me. And the people of God are made up of very human people, and they are full of faults and sins and weaknesses. And I believe a part of pursuing Jesus is the acceptance and love of His people. And so I want to say to you that if you are going to be a part of the body of Christ anywhere, whether it, it, it doesn't matter if it's here or in a home group or a prayer meeting or however you worship. And, and by the way, I'm, I don't believe you have to worship in a place like this with stained glass. And, in other words, this is a traditional church, and I love this building. It's incredibly beautiful. But there's nothing necessarily uh, holy about a building with stained glass unless the people within it are holy. So the people of God are what make this place holy. It is not that the stained glass is sacred, as as pretty as it is. It's really pretty when the sun is out full. It's just beautiful in here. Even the red color and the white pews framed in white. So I could say a lot, the stage and all that. But none of those things sanctify this place or make it holy. It's the people who worship within it that make a difference. And, And as I've seen all over the world, uh, a dirt floor church with mud walls and a thatched roof can be just as holy as this place, maybe more, depending on what's inside it. So wherever you worship, you are going to be worshiping next to people that are struggling through this life, and they're full of faults and weaknesses. And there comes a point where you have to accept that and commit yourself to it. 
And, and I hear that in the voice of Ruth. She, and to the death, she said, I will not leave you and I will not leave your people and only death will separate me from you and your people. And there come, in fact, I used to work with a pastor uh, years ago and it really stuck with me. He said, you know, you ha- it's like a marriage. Working with the people of God or working with a church is like a marriage. You just have to come to that place till death do us part. And, and, and I know sometimes God moves people, and, and so, you know, no, no legalism here. I'm not saying that about hope works. You may move, on, you may move away. Geographically, things happen, and, and people leave and, and, and come and go, and, and I'm never one to, to judge that. But there comes a point where you say, I'm committed to the people of God. I'm committed to the bride of Christ with all her wrinkles and all her sins and all her faults. And I have to learn to, to let go of offense. I just have to let it go. I just have to let it go. And, and, and me and my wife, sitting right there, we've had to let go of offense over and over and over and over and say, we will love the church of Jesus Christ to the death. We will love God's people. And and, and again, that can show itself in many ways. And and I'm not trying to say that can can only show itself here. Uh, And we're connected with people in in, in different countries and and worship. And we are spiritual parents of people in India and in Africa. And, but with all of her faults, with all of her sins, with all of her stumbling. Only death can separate me from you and your people. I love you. I love your God. I love your people. And I will not turn away from worshiping your God. And I will not turn away from your people. And so there is a beauty in that. There is a beauty in committing to and loving the people of the Lord, the people that Jesus died for. And, and, and of course, he died for the whole world. Yes, everyone. But, but, but I don't have the same connection with, with everyone that I have with the people that follow Jesus. I don't. I can love and respect, really love and respect anyone and do. I have friends that, that don't believe in Jesus. I have friends who are atheists. I have, I have some friends that really love me and I really love them and they're absolute atheists. But they love me and they allow me in their lives. And I'm, so I'm just going to keep staying in their lives. They don't, they don't understand why they love me. Well, I know why they love me. They see a beauty in me. In fact, there's this atheist guy I used to work with in Sprint for years. And, and when I first went to work with him, he, he, just, he told me right out, he said, I want you to know, I hate Christians. I hate their guts, and I've beaten many of them. He's a tough old guy. He said, I've beaten up several Christians. I said, well, that's, and I thought, well, this is great. And, uh, and, and, but, but God put me, so I'm working with this guy, and I'm working with him. And, and so, you know, I know not, not to come, oh, well, do you want to be saved? Four spiritual laws right now. It's just not going to work with someone like, especially someone who's already told me that he bitterly hates Christians. But this guy fell in love with me. 
because I didn't cram Jesus down his throat. And, you know, and he, and he knew about the missions work, and he used to ask me questions. So every time he would ask me a question, okay, now I get to, I get to I'm going to bring Jesus in, kind of, kind of in the back door. Let's bring Jesus in the back door. Well, some people won't let you bring Jesus in the front door. Some people will. And if, and if they will, do it. But if they won't, bring Jesus in the back door. And so I'm cheering with this guy. I'm just loving him. And he eventually said to me, you're the only Christian I've ever liked, Brandon. I still hate Christians, but you're the only one I've ever liked. So then I don't see this guy. For, 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 I, I keep seeing this guy actually off and on. I keep running into him, running. He said, and he said, Brandon, man, I can't believe. I, I can't believe I see you here. Well, how are you doing? You're still doing that thing in Africa? You're still up on those? Yeah. I said, yeah, that's what God's called us to do. So I see him a few weeks ago again. And he said, I can't believe I keep running into you. And I said, it's the God you don't believe in. And, and he just kind of went silent, you know. So already he respects me and loves me. So, you know, I can say that. I can at least say that. It's the God you don't believe in. And, and he's all smiles every time he sees me. And, and, then, um, and then he walked away again. He said, I just... I can't understand why I keep running into you. And so right after that happened, like a week later, we go to the Sam's Club, me and Darnell, and he's there again. (laughs) And he said, I just can't believe this. And I said to him again, I told you, it's the God you don't believe in. And he's just standing there shaking his head. And then I said, Darnell, come over here. I want you to meet this guy. This is Travis. And, And I said, this is a guy, the atheist. He hates Christians. (laughs) <laughs> of course, Darnell, she's not intimidated by any of that stuff. In fact, she'll come in the front door every time, even if you try to shut it. She'll just come right in. Uh, but anyway, she just goes up and says, I'm so happy. She just gives him the biggest hug. This is in Sam's Club. This is an atheist. And she just grabs him. Just hugs him for a long time. He's just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> And she said, I'm so happy to meet you. And like, he, he's all shaken up, man. He's all shaken up. But even though his intellect is, is, is blocking his rational thinking, and maybe he experienced some hypocritical Christians, I don't know. But he sees an abu- a beauty that he cannot resist. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And it's the beauty of love. And, and, and one, one of the things that I always convey to Travis is my total acceptance of him, even though he's an atheist. And I can talk to him about anything in the world he wants to talk. You want to talk about sports? You want to talk about football? Let's go. I'm, in other words, I'm going to have a relationship with him. And we don't have to talk about God. And I still accept you at the end of the day. Even though you hate Christians, you don't believe in God. I'm not going to push you out of my life. So he felt that acceptance and beyond that acceptance, he feels he's going to be saved. I'm telling you, he's going to come to Jesus. So, I think I'm out of time. I want to be burned by love. How about you? Do you want to be scorched by love and passion? Jesus is inexpressibly beautiful. And the Bible says he is the image of God. He is the express image of the person of God. Jesus. 
Jesus, extravagantly beautiful, unimaginably good. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil, the Bible says. And since he is the image of God, that is God. It's not like Jesus saying, okay, God, I know you're angry at everybody. Slow down, Lord. Don't be mad. I'll come in between you and everybody else. No, he is the heart of the Father. He is the heart of God. And, and if you're, when you're involved in some of the work that, that, that we're involved in, you can put the wrath of God into more perspective. The story I told earlier about the little girl buried for two years. Do you think that makes God angry? You know it does. It makes God angry. That kind of injustice and oppression. So try to understand the wrath of God from, from that perspective. The terrible injustice, the abuse. It makes God angry. But not angry in such a way that he wants to destroy everyone, but angry in such a way that he wants to change it. Jesus is the heart of the Father. And I want to be burned by his love and by his presence. How about you? I want it to change me. Stand up with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Burn us with your love, Savior. Burn us with your passion. Burn us, Lord Jesus. Let us be like Ruth, sold out unto death to follow you no matter what. To be with your people, Lord. To follow you always. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Teach us your love. Just stand in his presence for a moment. Don't be in a hurry. Just take a moment or two. Let your heart talk to him. Surrender. Remember, you're surrendering to love. You're not surrendering to oppression. When you surrender to Jesus, you're surrendering to love. And He may call you to do something that you're afraid to do, but if you follow Him, you will love what He calls you to do. I promise. You will love what He has called you to do. He will put that love within you. If he calls you to a people, your heart will burn with love for that people and you cannot imagine doing anything else but serving those people. But if I surrender, he'll send me to Africa. Oh, yay! No, if, you, if he calls you to Africa, your heart will burn and keep you awake at night and you can't wait to go. That's what Jesus will do. Thank you, Lord. Let your heart talk to him.
turned away we will follow you Jesus Jesus your people will be my people your God is my God yes Lord I will go where you say to go I will do whatever you say. Cover me, Lord. Because I would be married to you. I would be married to you, Jesus. you to come up to talk to Jesus to love him to let him love you know that he will give you the power to do anything he calls you to do and more than the power to do it he will give you the passion and the desire to do it It's not just the strength to do something you would hate doing. No, he transforms your heart to you love what he loves. Do you desire what he desires? And then he also gives you the strength and the power. So now you have the strength and the power to do what you love to do. Because he has transformed your heart by his love. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, Lord Jesus. We will follow you, Lord. We will follow you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 